0: Someday someone's going to have to explain to me, Andrew, the plumbing that drains the equity market liquidity from the Treasury General account. And until that happens, for me, it's just investment mythology, you know, similar to like gold is an inflation hedge. And all I know is despite all these liquidity concerns or the regional bank concerns or the debt ceiling concerns or whatever the, the disease of the month club is, the stock market made a new high this morning.
1: You're listening to IBKR Podcasts find more conversations at ibkrpodcasts.com. Please remember any trading discussions are for information purposes only and are not intended to portray recommendations. Please listen to further disclosures at the end of today's episode.
2: Now, welcome to our show. Welcome to another IBKR podcast, this is Andrew Wilkinson, I'm your host here. This week's guest is Review Capital's Chief Investment Officer, Neil Azuz. Welcome, Neil.
0: Thank you, Andrew, for having me. Always great to be with you ahead of these significant market events, such as the uh, Federal Reserve meeting next week.
2: Well, folks, I like to bring Neil onto these podcasts, specifically, as he says, uh, ahead of the FOMC meetings, because he's got an excellent handle on all things concerning monetary policy. Tell us a little bit about what the monetary policy actions at the, the, the Reserve Bank of Australia And the Canadian Central Bank recently might have on the outlook from the FOMC.
0: So why don't I just break that up into two parts? Uh, The first one regarding the outlook going into the FOMC meeting, and then I'll address the uh, Reserve Bank of Australia and the Bank of Canada. So I always answer that question, Andrew, first by analyzing what the market's pricing regarding the path of interest rate policy here. And we do that in in probabilistic terms or probabilistic outcomes. Uh, So currently, the bond market is pricing in a 27% chance of a 25 basis point hike at the June 14th meeting next week, and a 53% chance of a 25 basis point hike at the July 26th meeting. So cumulatively, that is an 80% chance of one 25 basis point hike by the July meeting. The bond market is just saying that the Fed's going to skip raising an interest rate next week, but they're going to raise the interest rate by a quarter percent at the July meeting. And of course, when we're armed with that information, we always have to ask, what are the potential asymmetric outcomes based on that market pricing at the moment? Uh, And Andrew, there are three scenarios where the market uh, could be the most caught off guard. Uh, Firstly, uh, if the Fed were to raise an interest rate by a quarter percent at next week, meeting, uh, that would be an issue. Currently, there's only, as I just said, it's a 25 percent chance or 27. That's the equivalent of a one in four chance. Uh, The second asymmetric outcome would be on next Tuesday prior to the Wednesday Fed meeting. Uh, The U.S. inflation data is released. If it is softer than expected and the bond market reduces the odds of a hike at the July meeting, that would also probably pull forward interest rate cuts from next year into this year. So that would be a surprise factor. Uh, And the third and final one is if the Fed skips June uh, or next week raising interest rate And they realized that was a mistake after another round of strong economic data in July. And they signal to the market that they have to play catch up. And the market starts to put a half a percent hike on the table for the July meeting. So those would be the three asymmetric outcomes where market agents would be caught off guard. Regarding the question of the potential impact of the surprise rate hikes in uh, Australia and Canada uh, over the last two weeks, I would just phrase it this way. Optically, it's a surprise, and it definitely warrants conversation, but most of that conversation is subjective in nature, meaning the probabilities for next week's Fed meeting or even the probabilities for the July meeting did not change much. And also, the impact to the yield curve, just keeping things very generic, looking at the the U.S. Treasury two-year, 10-year yield curve, largely is in the same place as where it was last Friday. So right now, we're mindful of it. But I think the market's taking the view in actual pricing that those banks uh, have more wood to chop and they started at a later date than the Federal Reserve started hiking interest rates and they certainly didn't raise rates at the pace the Fed did. So the market is, I would say, okay with it at the moment, but they're mindful that there's surprise factors out there.
2: Okay, that, that covers all the bases, that's great. Let's get let's get onto the labor market. We know that monetary policy works with a lag, so we've had a significant tightening over the last year and a bit. Employment gains though have, have continued at a breakneck pace. How, how are you seeing the labor market at this point?
0: The labor market is still firm, but it seems soft enough for a pause next week. Uh, another way to characterize the labor market is to say that it's, it's healthy on an absolute basis, but it's deteriorating under the surface albeit at a slow pace. And, and let me give you two examples or the two main talking points, Andrew, uh, regarding that slow deterioration. So first, economists like to track this metric called called uh, weekly hours worked, and they use that as a leading indicator. And the argument is that once a company cuts back on employee hours, this next step is to just lay them off. And the, the current decline in weekly hours worked is pretty large at the moment, and it's definitely on par with other recessionary readings or even ahead of most other recessions. The next step is really for the initial jobless claims or job openings data to confirm what you're seeing in those weekly hours worked uh, deterioration. And, and, and we've seen that. Yesterday, uh, uh, the initial jobless claims made a new 18-month high. Uh, said differently, Andrew, if you charted jobless claims like a stock, it looks like it just hit an acceleration point and the stock started to break out out of a long-term range. So the second example is the unemployment rate, uh, Andrew. And while still low on an absolute basis, it is back to the highest level over the last 18 months. And what everyone's going to look for in early July, when we start to, uh, when we get that next monthly U.S. employment data report is whether the SOM recession indicator is triggered. And I'll just explain that real quick. The the SOM recession indicator signals the start of a recession historically. Uh, That occurs when the three-month moving average of the national unemployment rate rises by a half a percent or more relative to its low during the the prior year. And nationally, the low unemployment rate was 3.4% in April, and the high was 3.7% just last uh, May, a month ago. So another 0.2% higher, and definitely the bears will be out in full force and, and they'll be saying, hey, the SOM, ratio in the, uh, SOM recession indicator uh, has been triggered. For now, uh, I would just say there's a head start. Uh, California, which is, as you know, is 15% of US GDP and 50 million people, has an, is a notable standout where their unemployment rate is 0.7% above its August 2022 low. So in California terms, That some recession indicator has already been triggered. So the combination of these things are showing that slow deterioration under the market, despite the absolute level still remaining in a in a robust or healthy manner.
2: At the start of the year, Neil, you elaborated on how the money market was discounting significant monetary policy easing, even before the Fed had finished. Raising interest rates. So, how does the buoyancy of the economy currently shape your view about policy going forward?
0: Frankly, Andrew, nothing material has changed outside of inflation continuing to come down. Uh, that said, we remain most interested in in, in historical precedents, and, and here are the facts. On average, the Fed has cut an interest rate six and a half months after the last interest rate hike. The shortest it's been is 1.4 months, and the longest it's been is 14.7 months. And notably, the Fed does cut an interest rate. 2.4 times faster than they hike on average so if may or last month was indeed the last interest rate hike and the average precedent holds true again the fed should cut the fed funds rate by december and, and that's what's priced into the market so while all these other things are going on in the background the historical precedents are still being priced the facts are the facts and, and not a whole a th- lot of things have changed except inflation coming down
2: so now looking in the rearview mirror a little bit here the fed was forced to add liquidity On account of the recent banking crisis was at february march time some commentators are pointing to an overall reduction in liquidity taking place as the the fomc tidies up its balance sheet is there any truth to that and should equity investors particularly be concerned
0: all right let let, let me provide some context uh, uh briefly for those who are not familiar uh with this concept uh leading up to the debt ceiling passage uh the treasury general account aka uh the tga was drawn down close to zero and now the u.s treasury needs to issue a larger amount of new t-bills to help replenish that account and someone has to absorb that new bond market issuance so on the margin uh that is a tighter liquidity uh, condition because funds used to buy t-bills can't buy riskier assets and if you add in andrew you know the fed's quantitative tightening program or qt or you move over to Europe and look at the European Central Bank's equivalent programs, which is called the TLTRO, and there's probably a total of somewhere between one and a half, one to one and a half trillion dollars of quote unquote, perceived tightening of liquidity. Therefore, the bears say the summer will be treacherous for stocks. That's the general background or the context of this concept. To me, Andrew, this is just the bears trying to meet their quota uh, for the disease of the month club. You know, first, it was US, the US regional banking crisis. Then it was the US debt ceiling crisis. And now it's a liquidity crisis. Someday, someone's going to have to explain to me, Andrew, the plumbing that drains the equity market liquidity from the Treasury General account. And until that happens, for me, it's just investment mythology, you know, similar to like gold as an inflation hedge. And all I know is despite all these liquidity concerns or the regional bank concerns or the debt ceiling concerns or whatever the, the disease of the month club is, the stock market made a new high this morning.
2: Well, let's wrap this up with one, one last question, and this is ready for my edification here. I'm having a hard time believing that interest rates will officially be lower by the end of the year unless there's some catastrophe that we're not prepared for. What am I missing, Neil?
0: I appreciate that question. And uh, I'm definitely mindful of the quote-unquote higher for longer view. That said, uh, Andrew, here's how I reconcile it. As I highlighted earlier, I just start with the historical precedent of facts. And from there, I make bets on probabilistic outcomes. My baseline, as I said earlier, is that on average, the Fed cuts interest rates six and a half months after the last interest rate hike. And if May was the last hike, we know we should be cutting by December on average. So that answers the question of can the Fed cut interest rates by year end? So the answer there is yes. And then secondly, the pace of upcoming disinflationary impulses, I think is likely gonna surprise market professionals. Most of our models and our leading indicators uh, argue that US core CPI is going to be near 3% by December and, and, and maybe even drop at or below the Fed's target in early 2024. So here, here, here's a basic list, Andrew. If you look at like the New York Fed's Global Supply Chain Pressure Index, it has not only returned to pre-pandemic levels, but it's now squarely in a deflationary territory on an index. That's another way of saying that there are no longer supply chain issues. The benchmark for commodities, is down 30 to 40 percent so the the input cost pressures that we saw before related to the ukraine russia war in terms of the breakfast cereals like wheat and grains and things like that all prices are down 30 to 40 percent though you just have to look at any commodity to see that you lost money indicators such as wage pressures have started to come down Uh, if you look at ism prices paid uh, either the the components plunging and the trough levels they're consistent with a 2% CPI target now. And and as I'm saying, leading indicators of inflation, such as the ISM business prices or the NFIB small businesses planning to increase their prices, those have also come down uh, dramatically. So those both work on six-month lags and suggest core CPI also at at 3% by December. So this disinflation isn't only in commodities, goods, or services now. We're seeing these these inflationary pressures abate in housing, rent, and things like that. So the the list could go on, but overall, I I believe that the markets are far from fully appreciating this uh, uh, major or accelerating disinflationary impulse, which really brings important implications for portfolio construction. So to answer your question, Andrew, it is the historical precedent and the Fed winning on their inflation mandate that helps you get around the idea that they can not cut an interest rate in line with the historical precedents.
2: My guest has been Neil Azus, CIO and founder at Rareview Capital. Neil, a huge thanks for joining me to create this edition. My pleasure. Thank you, Andrew. And folks, if you enjoyed today's edition, please do leave us a review wherever you download your podcast from. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to IBKR Podcasts. As always, we have more
1: episodes at IBKRpodcasts.com. And if you're interested in learning more about interactive brokers, visit IBKR.com. We offer more trading education material, such as webinars at ibkrwebinars.com, financial and economic commentary at tradersinsight.news, market-related courses at tradersacademy.online, and quant-related articles at ibkrquant.com. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and is necessary, seek professional advice.